Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. It's an affirming thing when your leaders are tuned in with God and they show up with the same piece of scripture. Um, that's kind of a wonderful thing. So I, I don't, Brett or Christine, can you give me, what was that passage again? What was that again? Because I'm, I'm going to, we're going to read it again. Maybe one of you needs to hear this twice. Uh, John fifteen five, reading out of the ESV. I am the vine, you are the branches. That's the right one. Uh, whoever abides in me and I in him, he, um, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Jumping down to verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the opportunity to explore it more this morning. Um, Lord, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for speaking uh, through our leaders here, God. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to continue to gather and fellowship and uh, fall more in love with you and that our lives more and more would be uh, in sync just with um, your desire for, for what happened here. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, I would also just share, uh, kind of as a word of encouragement, that your leadership team met off-site this past weekend on Friday and Saturday. We met at the, the Leadership Center in Aurora, and a good time just to, uh, to get to know one another better, but uh, also just, you know, try to get kind of an honest, realistic uh, look at just, you know, what's going on and how things are going, and, and and really to seek God's heart for the future for us as a church. And so I uh, just wanted to let you know that, that they continue to, to serve you well and, and lead you well. We are in Romans 12, and it's very much uh, going to tie in with, uh, with what Christine and, and Brett brought from John 15 about loving one another, but really doing that through the strength that, that God provides. And um, so we, we're in Romans 12 today. Um, at this point in Romans, the writing kind of takes a drastic turn, and this is pretty common for how Paul writes. Paul's uh, very generic, his format, is that he likes to begin his letters with, you know, sort of the, um, like the doctrine or, or the theology or, you know, what it is that Jesus did for you and how it changes us and kind of that personal spirituality. And then after Paul has laid really kind of that, that critical foundation then he, he changes and he gets more practical in just, okay, now how do we live that out, 
right? But the foundation is always first, you know, Christ, what he did for us, you know, the secured, finished work on the cross. That's the foundation. And then, okay, now, now what does that look for us, you know, Monday to Saturday and, and all that kind of thing? When we were saved, you know, that moment of salvation, God no longer sees us the same. Right? He no longer sees the sin. He no longer sees the brokenness. He no longer sees the, the shame. Instead, we wear the righteousness of Jesus Christ when, when we receive his salvation. And so when God looks at us, he sees really his son Jesus. And so all that love that he has for his son is directed to, to you as well, too. And so we're not trying to earn salvation, but in some ways we are just kind of trying to live out what we have been given or what we've been entrusted with and so there is this 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 responsibility to grow in our spiritual maturity to to live out our faith so there is some stewardship on our part so in romans we're now uh, making that shift where paul gets pretty practical about things and in the next few chapters like paul's going to lay out some big ideas and some big expectations right how should we interact as as brothers and sisters in christ uh you know if we're going to call ourselves whatever it is family or community or or you know just fellow christians like what does that look like how do we interact with government and throughout the history of mankind government has often been oppressive uh towards christians not always but there's definitely been seasons how do we interact with others in society that are not christians how do we interact with other Christians that, that might be uh, younger in their faith or, or weaker in their faith? And so how do we come alongside them? Um, and big expectations. Paul's going to expect you to um, uh, uh, contribute, uh, not just financially, but just kind of in, in, your, in your strengths and in, in your gifting. He's going to expect you to contribute regularly to the local body of believers, the local church. He's going to ask you to honor one another. Um, he is going to encourage you to never be lazy, always keep the energy up, the momentum up. He's going to expect you to be nice to mean, wicked, mean people. Um, he's going to expect you to, to step into the emotional space of others and to really meet them where they're at and just, and just be with them in that space. He's going to expect you to never seek your own revenge, but always just leave that to, to God and let him deal with it. He's going to expect you to live in submission to government. I mean, unless it, it's asking us to sin, but living, asking us to live in submission to government. He's going to ask us to live sacrificially, to willingly give up some freedoms if those freedoms create problems for others. Uh, in America, we are all about our freedoms and our rights. And, and, and part of that I endorse, but at the same time, Scripture says, I mean, yes, freedoms and rights, but if it causes someone else difficulty, you need to be willing to lay that down. And, and like, I, I mean, just, you know, to be honest here with you, the, the, the car, carnal, sinful, debased mind does not naturally do these things. Like, I mean, it's so, so contrary. Sin makes us selfish and proud and arrogant and, and we obsess over our own glory or our own revenge or our own kingdom or our own crowns. And, and sin commands us to seek those things at the expense of others. Sin commands us really to ruin anyone who stands in our way. 
to fulfill these expectations that Paul is going to lay out in the next several chapters will require the full commitment of your entire physical body. It will require a reprogramming of how you think. And it will require the submission of your will to God's will at all times and in all things. And with that, I would introduce you to three of the most popular, quoted, referenced, cited, cross-stitched, bumper-stickered verses in Scripture. Romans, 3, Romans 12, verses 1 to 3. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's the second thing. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. That's the third thing. What is good, acceptable, and perfect. We will have to reprogram how we think, what we hold dear, what we value, how we operate, how we view the world. As I said, our, our culture loves to put our body and its pleasure and really its glory on a throne. But we are seeking to transition that because as Christians really we, we see the, the human body almost more as a tool and sometimes that tool is sacrificed in order to re reach the objective Paul knows that our mind our body, our will are going to need to come under the submission under the, the direction of God and here's the thing though there's some encouraging stuff this process has already begun Okay? This process didn't begin in chapter 12. This process began in chapter 4-ish when you said yes to Jesus. Right? So the process has begun, but our stewardship is, is to help carry that out and, and to continue on with that. This is not something you have to force. It's not something you have to fake. It's not something that, that you have to fabricate. In many ways, we just we receive it and, and, and we live it out. That first one, the body. So Paul mentions three things, the body, the mind, and, and the will. As we said, you know, the, with the body, we, we really do see kind of just the sinful pleasures and self-gratification. But here's the thing. Our body now belongs to Jesus. First uh, Corinthians 6 talks about how our body is now God's temple because the Holy Spirit lives within us. Now, I have a theory, and I would, I would be fascinated by your, your feedback on this. Um, this is challenging for, for all of us, but based on our, our culture and just what I see um, just being saturated in our culture, my theory is that the group where this is the more difficult, first of all, is for the ladies rather than the men, and secondly, more the, the younger ladies simply because our culture is obsessed with this, this idea or this lie of my body, my choice. And so I think that group, like this is going to be the toughest because they've been the most bombarded by that untruth, which we would say in, in Christ, really runs uh, contrary to, to Scripture, right? But, you know, this, this lie, my body, my choice, it's my body, I can do with it as I please— no one can, can tell me what to do with my body. 
And I think we probably all kind of get that message to some degree. But I suspect for the women, and particularly for the younger ladies and, and the girls today, like that's, that is so countercultural to just what they are saturated with in their daily environment. Um, for men and women, our body does not belong to us. When we said yes to Jesus, uh, we gave him control over our body. Uh, within Christian marriage, we also give our body to our spouse. And so it's kind of doubly not ours. It's kind of like, you know, who gets to call the shots on my body? Well, I'm like third or, or fourth or maybe fifth, you know. Um, other people, you know, and I experience that. Every time Joe tells me that outfit is not a good combo, you know. So, um, which probably happens more than it than Anyways, we won't. Anyway, moving on. So, um, the other place, too, I mean, just on that phrase where I, I think we... Uh, where we hear that phrase a lot, my body, my choice, is just within the, the discussion around abortion. I feel like that is a common phrase that is used to that and, and won't go into all of that other than uh, just, just two thoughts. I would say that if you are a woman who, who has had an abortion, then we would believe that, that that process was destructive for you as well. And so our heart goes out to you. And we want to help you find um, healing and peace and restoration. And, and just, you know, very much a, a gentle, welcoming spirit. But secondly, we would say, though, that if you are someone who ag- advocates for abortion, then you're actually advocating for the destruction of women and children and that baby murder is not acceptable and that you, like, you need to change course and repent and... Uh, and hopefully no one listens to those ideas. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We cannot do the things that Paul is going to ask us to do in you know Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, unless or until we are also prepared to surrender our bodies fully to Jesus Christ and his mission. I find it fascinating that Paul calls that physical act spiritual worship. And and I suspect that there are truths and depths that, well, I know that, that, that there's kind of a depth and an insight there that I haven't fully grasped, other than just point out my fascination with that physical act as spiritual worship and that it's beautiful to God. Secondly, Paul mentions the mind. Uh, the mind is, is the control center. I would say everything flows out from the mind. Uh, the battle is always for the mind. Uh, the world wants your mind, but God wants to transform your mind. That word transform uh, that gets used here, it's actually the same word as transfiguration, and it's actually where we get our um, word metamorphosis. Right? And so it's just the, it's this change that starts inward and, wa- and, and works outward. You know, kind of like the, the caterpillar to, to the butterfly, right? Like that is the kind of change that we are talking about. Advertising, marketing, commercials, right? All these people telling you to buy things. These are great, kind of easily accessible examples of the world wanting to control your mind and say, you need this and buy this and then we'll take all your money, right? But God wants to change you from the inside out. Third, your will must be in submission to God. His will, not yours, needs to rule the day. 
it, it's a lot of people think, well, the, the, it's the willpower that, that's going to save them. No, it won't. It's like it doesn't work that way. It, it doesn't work. Only as we submit to the will of God do we see changes. Even Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane, end of his ministry, facing death, prays, not my will, but thy will be done. Always, always, always placing our will under the submission to God's will. After those kind of verses of intro um, or transition, then Paul begins to unpack all of these ideas. And um, so he has, uh, what we've got two, three uh, verses of kind of transition. And then starting in verse 3, going down to about, it's not a hard and cut line, somewhere between 13 and 16, kind of that next section, um, Paul is speaking really towards Christians and how they interact with, with one another. It's kind of a fuzzy break between 14 and 16. But um, in that first part, he briefly covers the spiritual gifts. Now, Paul will unpack spiritual gifts in other places in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12 is his most kind of thorough explanation of it, but he covers it here almost in passing. Let me read this to you. Uh, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. And so though many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does act of mercy, with cheerfulness. There's a lot um, that we could unpack. Uh, I know that several years ago we did uh, some more stuff, kind of more thoroughly on on spiritual gifts and and what that looked like um very briefly just a little bit of my my own journey on this kind of as an illustration uh, i remember i was uh, mid-20s and i thought well maybe maybe i have the gift of administration right because you like you take like the little survey or the little test it's like well maybe administration but then i met people who are gifted as administration and i was like no, no. like i have like, I can survive as a bachelor administration, but not, like, run a church-gifted administration, you know? And, but it was as I basically tried and failed at different stuff that I began to learn more. And as I got to see other people um, exercise their gifts well, I was able to either go, oh, well, maybe there's a possibility there, and we have definitely ruled out that one, you know? And um, it really wasn't until my late 20s uh, yeah, I would say probably late 20s, where I first had the thought like, oh, hey, maybe, like maybe teaching. But I had never thought of teaching because I had always limited that to a classroom, right? But now I teach every Sunday, and you get to endure through it, you know? So um, just to say that it does require just some, some exploration and, um, yeah, and trying and failing at, at a lot of different stuff. Uh, Paul uses the example of the human body, which is such a great example of this. And he does this over in 1 Corinthians 12 as well, too, right? 
But there's so many implications on that, like around unity and interdependence and different abilities and, and all having a different purpose and yet for the same function or, or for the, the same agenda and trust and trusting one another. Paul gives us a very short list here. He mentions prophecy, service, teaching, uh, encouragement or exhortation, uh, giving, leadership, and also mercy. Um, just a few thoughts on, on spiritual gifts in, in general uh, to just kind of give a backdrop on this. Um, Paul, more so in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul describes spiritual gifts as this. The Holy Spirit manifesting a part of his personality through you for the growth and for the benefit of the church. And that's a, that's a very important place to start. A spiritual gift is really the Holy Spirit manifesting himself, a part of himself, through you for the growth and for the, the betterment of the church. This has a couple implications. For starters, each one of you has a spiritual gift. Maybe you have two or three or four. I'm not sure. But every person gets at least one. You should know what your spiritual gift is. Now, if you are younger or early on in your spiritual faith, like maybe you're still trying to figure out, that's fine. But I would say you should at least be able to name, like, the potentials, right? Like, I'm not really sure, but here's the top three options as it stands today. Um, it will take time to discover. Uh, one of the best ways is just to try and, and fail a lot. And also there are so many kind of subdivisions, right? So scripture will name teaching, but who are you teaching? And what are you teaching? And in what context are you teaching, right? I mean, is it little kids or is it big kids or is it adults or is it within the church or outside the church? And, you know, or is it people who have experienced trauma, right? Like there's like a thousand variations of teaching and it just kind of takes some time to, to figure that out. Spiritual gifts are for the benefit of the church, not you. Your spiritual gift is not there so you can make a lot of money or become super popular or become super famous. Your spiritual gift is for the benefit of others. So, um, they're not there for, for your benefit. As such, I would say that really the best determination of whether or not you have a spiritual gift is really the affirmation of the community of believers around you, right? Because if you think you have a personal spiritual gift, and I got stories on that one, but then the people around you are like, mm, no. Okay, you should probably listen to those people that that's like not really a viable option for you. At the same time, the opposite happens. People are, you know, within your spiritual gift, typically it's so easy for you, you forget this is very unusual. And so you will hear people say, well, I mean, yeah, I can, you know, cook for a hundred, but isn't that just common sense? You know, and other people are going, no, no, there's no common sense in that whatsoever. Like, you're special in all the good ways when it comes to that. Pretty much an exact conversation we had once. So, uh, because it, it, it is for the gift of others, really others, to affirm whether or not you have it. It's my belief, you can disagree with me on this one, I believe that not all the spiritual gifts are listed in Scripture for a couple reasons. One, none of the lists match up. They're all a little bit different. Second, 1 Corinthians tells us that spiritual gifts are the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and I believe that he can manifest himself uh, any way he, he wants. But thirdly, like just an example, 
Um, I would believe that worship leading, for those of you that lead worship, like that is a spiritual gift. But it's never mentioned in scriptures. Leading worship is never mentioned in scriptures. So I would look at that and say, yeah, I'm I'm not sure that all spiritual gifts get, get named in scripture. Spiritual gifts come in different volumes. Some people can administer or give administration to a family. And some people can give administration to a church of 100. And some people can give administration to a church of 1,000 or 10,000, right? Like there's, there's volumes to it. I don't know if volumes is the best word, but volumes. You have a responsibility to develop that gift. You could almost say that gifting really speaks more to potential than anything else. But if you're good at whatever it is, then you need to read all the books and listen to all the podcasts and find all the mentors and give all the mentoring that you can because you need to develop whatever that spiritual gift that that is. I would also say that some communities are going to be better equipped to help you with your spiritual gift than others. Uh, If you have the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues... Like, that's not really our culture. Like, I can give you a few thoughts, but, like, we're probably not going to be able to take you very far on that one, right? Or if you say, well, you know, I have the the gift of, you know, leading a 1,000 or 10,000, like, again, we can give you some, but not a whole lot, right? Like, you're going to have to go elsewhere to get some really good teaching, mentoring, instruction on that. Spiritual gifts need to be accompanied by spiritual maturity, and by personal development of the gift, right? Some people are really gifted at something, which is great. Yay for them. But some people, not only are they gifted, but they are wise, and they are experienced, and they have studied their gift very well, and those people are an absolute delight to work with. I love working with those people, where it's not just the gifting, but the spiritual maturity and the wisdom and the study of of that discipline. Last thing on spiritual gifts. Um, as a pastor, I mean, speaking for, out of Ephesians, as a pastor, one of my primary responsibilities is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And part of that is your spiritual gift and understanding that and, you know, your passions and your strengths and your abilities and, and that kind of thing. And really, arguing out of Ephesians, you could say my primary mandate is not to do the ministry for you, but to equip you to do the ministry. Which I think is great, because how much better when you have 80 people doing the ministry rather than just the one guy. And so, a a large part of my role involves teaching you and equipping you for you to do the the work of the ministry. Okay, in Romans, so Paul does this and he talks about spiritual gifts. And then, starting in verse 9, he... I would say there's, there's kind of two different things that that happen there um verses 9 and 10 i think paul is really giving us some instructions on how we interact one another as believers verse 9 let love be genuine abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor As you interact with one another, Paul has this expectation that you will continue to love and support and honor one another. Let love be genuine. 
right? Don't fake it. Don't, don't force it. Rather, it should be a sincere love of one another. Abhor what is evil. There are evil things in this world and evil things that would love to destroy your brother and sister in Christ. Hate those things. The thing that would seek to destroy your brother in Christ, hate those things and work against those things. John uh, thirteen thirty five. Jesus speaking to Christians. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And even in, in John 15, what Christine and Brett were going to bring us, talking about loving one another. Paul then writes a few verses on our attitude towards God. Do not be slothful in, in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So Paul gives us a few words on serving the Lord. Zealous for God. Uh, energetic. Passionate. On fire for the Lord. We are patient when things are hard. We rejoice when things are good. And in all of the above, we're praying. Right now, whatever your situation, you need one of those. One, I mean, don't be lazy when it comes to your spirituality. But are things good? Then you should rejoice or rejoice in those things. What are the hard parts of life? Be patient. In all of the above, be praying. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints show and seek to show hospitality. Looking out for one another, helping one another, serving one another, giving to one another. I would say that the best place for that is really in our small groups. And when we get together in large groups, this is lots of fun. This is a great place for, for preaching and teaching and, and worship. Um, but this is not really the place where friendships are made. Like you're all facing this way. I'm the only one facing that way, and I'm just yelling at you for like 45 minutes. Those friendships are formed and bonded and and cemented in in the small groups where you can sit apart from one, or sit across from one another and be like, hey, how was your week? Hey, how can we pray for you? Hey, what's going on in your life? Hey, you brought this up last week. How's that going? Right? We don't, this space isn't created for that. The, The friendships and the community are formed in those small groups. That's where they're really developed. If you're not in a small group, talk to me. We'll get you plugged in. Full commitment of your mind, your body, and your will. So far, we've in many ways covered the easy stuff because Paul has talked about how we interact with one another and brothers and sisters in Christ, and presumably to some degree you like one another. After this, we're going to deal with how do we interact with government, How do we interact with people that don't like us? How do we interact with with weaker brothers and sisters? So today was good, but it is kind of the easy stuff as well. Back in Romans 12.1, Paul begins this whole thing. I, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's such a great line. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. You know what the mercies of God are? Mercies of God were chapters 4 to 12. Like chapters 1 to 3 were our sin and how that's a mess. But somewhere around 3, 4, we get to encounter Jesus and his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And really from 4 until the end of the chapter, that's the mercies of God. 
the transformation that Paul wants us to undergo, it, it's not hard. It's already begun. It, it began back in, in chapter 4. It does require a little bit of stewardship on our part, but Jesus has done all the heavy lifting, and now we're just stepping into it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the mercies of you and who you are and, and your spirit and your presence and your salvation and Lord, how you have saved us and redeemed us and how your word can be trusted. And Lord, we thank you for doing all that heavy lifting. Lord, as we spend the next couple weeks just getting very practical on how to live that out, we thank you for your word and your spirit that gives us some instruction on how to live that out amongst ourselves and between one another. God, thank you that, that for every saved person in this room, you have imparted your Holy Spirit and your Holy Spirit desires to express a certain part of himself through each of these people. Lord, may we know what that is. May we be good stewards of that and express that well. God, thank you for this community of believers called Living Hope Church. Thank you for the opportunity to develop friendships and sharpen one another through small groups and the opportunity to learn from your word and worship collectively through the large group. Lord, I pray your blessing, your protection on everyone here as they go about their week, that they would see your mercies all around them, and that where there is space for joy, that they would rejoice, where things are hard, that they would be patient, and that in all the above, they would be praying. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.